This is a Canicurial podcast by Cannabis Media, your source for cannabis and hemp license news directly from the data vault. So welcome to the Canicurial podcast powered by Cannabis Media. I'm your host, Ed Keating. Today, we're joined by Steve LaFail of Techogen. So Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be with you, Ed. Excellent. So in doing some research on your company, I see that Techogen's been around for four decades. Uh, that's, uh, that's quite some time. Could you give us a little bit of the backstory? You know, how did they start out and, and how did they get where they are today? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're coming up on our 40th anniversary. I think 1982 is the official kind of start wow. date of, of TicoGen. And, um, you know, the, it, it's funny if you look over time, 40 years, long time, but the grid, the, the central electric grid really hasn't gotten that much more efficient and that much cleaner um, and during that time. So um, our value proposition largely hasn't changed. And if anything, electricity from the grid has gotten more expensive. So, you know, the value propositions has gotten better for us over time and, and for our customers. Um, but our roots are, are based at the company called Thermoelectron, um, who's now part of a, a much larger company, Thermo Fisher Scientific. And that's, that's where we get started. Um, and, um, you know, that company was very successful and TicoGen's products are one of the kind of first products that they uh, commercialize. Um, oh. So kind of some neat history there. Um, we're a separate company now, uh, publicly traded on, on uh, the OTC stock exchange. But um, yeah, that long history there of, of technology development and certainly staying power in the industry. Um, we've kind of I think, like to think we've become a household name akin um, to uh, Kleenex, so to speak. So yeah. A lot of people know about TicoGen when it comes to on-site you know, CHP and power generation. And in, 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 so, uh, uh, what does uh, CHP stand for, just in case some of our listeners don't know? Sure. So combined heat and power is, ah. is the acronym definition there. And um, other terms people use, cogeneration is, is a synonym. Um, so if, if you hear that term, cogeneration, the different terminologies have been in, in vogue at different times. So hmm. It seems to be the latest. CHP is kind of the latest invoked uh, term for it. But you're, you're essentially generating... Um, all or a portion of your your power on site at the, at the facility instead of buying it, you know, from the central electric grid, um, and that so, that concept is really based in there's economic justification for doing so. Um, yeah. There's greenhouse gas, you know, savings when you do that due to higher efficiency of on site generation, and so on. So that's that's why on site energy production makes sense. Got it. And for all so, industries, for a lot of industries anyway, and cannabis just being one of them. Yeah, well, let's poke into that a bit because I'm going to bet that in 1982, uh, you guys were not positioning yourselves outside of uh, greenhouses and, and helping people grow cannabis. So, you know, back then when you're part of the other company, what were the industries that, that, that benefited from um, what has become the Ticogen solution? Sure. Yeah. So over time, we've served a lot of uh, large institutional customers. Um, a lot of healthcare hospitals has oh, been a, right. a large part of our business. Uh, universities, uh, large multifamily housing, um, you know, correctional facilities. Generally, any facility manufacturing another great example. But people that need large amounts of energy, heating, cooling, and power, um, mm. and, and different combinations of those will will sort of steer you to different types of systems we make. Um, and of course, cannabis is, is such a large user of energy. It's such an energy intense process that it, it just 
we sort of fell into that uh, industry a few years back and realizing that hey our our products really are a great fit here and for all the same reasons that they are in these other industries but in addition to those reasons there's there's new or different drivers that we're seeing in, in cannabis that we we haven't really seen uh, in those under, other industries so it, it's almost the most compelling application for our systems that that we've yet to see um, so that that's been really interesting for us so, so could you illuminate a little bit on, on, on those drivers? I mean, I imagine they probably have things to do like CO2. There's no other power around or, you know, other things, but, you know, help us understand what, what are some of those unique cannabis industry drivers? Sure. Yeah. So maybe good to start with, uh, with the, the normal drivers, which still exist mm. in, and mostly what people are looking for our technology for is uh, operational cost savings. Yep. Um, so they're looking to get a lower, you know, utility spend on their facility, um, and they under most people understand there's also a greenhouse gas benefit that comes yep. along with that, and people like to get get that as well, sort of a side benefit. Um, so that that's certainly important to cannabis growers, but we also are seeing um, uh, the the electric capacity issue come up a lot. So, and and that being someone doesn't have enough electric power available to them at the facility they've chosen. Um, it's either not available um, at all some, in some cases, oh. uh, or they can't get it in a reasonable time frame. Um, and obviously time is money in this business. So the longer you take to get opened up, the potential yeah. to make less profit as the prices start to drop when supply catches up with demand. So people are very sensitive to that. So it's it's the timing of getting the power they need. Sometimes they can't get all of it they, they need. So they were having to maybe sacrifice canopy um, to fit in with their right. available electric service. So we're able to come in and say, hey, look, not only do we provide all these other benefits that are going to be helpful to your business and your profitability, but we can also help you get growing faster, maybe avoid millions and millions of dollars of you know, upgrades. Sometimes these these customers are having to actually fund some utility upgrades, maybe a substation upgrade. And those are big costs that you can avoid. And by avoiding those costs, you're also helping get your utility bills lower. So it really is uh, it's a win-win. And and we've we've seen a little bit of that in other industries. Sometimes a hospital would expand and they would be short electric service, but it was pretty kind of few and far between that that became a driver in other industries but cannabis it seems like almost every other customer we've been we've contributed to helping alleviate those concerns oh yeah i'm so sort of playing out the i'm playing out the sales call in my head like so ed what gating factors do you have oh power well we can solve that really <laughs> sort of off you go because uh, if you can remove such a big barrier that really you know truly you know holds down production profitability revenue expansion uh that, that's a real great you know value prop to have uh that and people and it's one that people can understand I, I don't imagine you have to do a lot of explaining because they get it or they're suffering from it you know almost right out of the gate i would think yeah absolutely we've you know we started getting phone calls several years ago from folks and you know as as chp or co-generation sales people were so trained to talk about the utility cost savings you know the yeah. the cost savings and then we were getting people saying no i don't i'm not that's great that's a side benefit my, <laughs> my first goal is to get my facility open and, and solve my electric capacity constraint and we were just astonished by how often this kept coming up wow. continuous to come up um so, so, so um, in, oh god yeah i was going to say well, one thing we sort of were scratching our heads about is is why do we see so many people 
finding themselves in this position of not having enough electric capacity and uh, you know aren't they why aren't they doing their due diligence beforehand and i think as we as i've come to realize it's not always that simple um you get into this chicken and egg scenario where mm. you you need to you need to get your building selected and then you need to do all this engineering it's been a lot of money before you can even get the utility all the information they need because it, they may not tell you what they're what's available to you without a really detailed engineering analysis that you can present to them. And so you get into this really tricky scenario where, um, you know, and I think that's how, how people end up in that position. Yeah. So, so I want to go back uh, to, to the industry piece because uh, you know, this often happens or, or we, we see this because the way you know, cannabis media looks at the market is we see companies that are sort of can serious, you know, they only work in the cannabis industry. And then those that at one point were kind of curious, they're like, Hey, we have a product that might work in, in the cannabis industry. So here you're in the situation where the cannabis industry reached out to you and said, Hey, Techuchen, you could help us out. I'm curious. So once that happened, what was that discussion like internally where, you know, suddenly you have these traditional industries, you know, institutional healthcare, hospital, hospitality, multifamily, and you're like, we're going to do cannabis now. Like, was that something that you know, was just sort of a normal extension of your other agricultural efforts? Or, you know, was it something that uh, was uh, a hard or curious sell inside the company? Yeah, that's a great question, because we've certainly seen a lot of traditional companies that existed long before cannabis yeah. became legalized, kind of hesitant, right? And yeah, we definitely, that wasn't the case for us. We we sort of jumped in feet first um, without without hesitation. And I think that really helped us get moving. And, yep. you know, I wish we would have done it even a little sooner. We were kind of maybe a year or two uh, later to the party than we, than we could have been. We sort of missed the Colorado uh, boat there, but um, you know, we, we didn't hesitate once we started realizing how good of a fit we were. Uh, we yeah. jumped in feet first and, and, and we saw a lot of people that are offered similar things, maybe not. Um, but, you know, people that made more traditional HVAC equipment, some of the bigger companies were still hesitant for several years after we started really doing work in the space. And now they're starting to just kind of come around. Um, but I think that really hurt people by, you know, it was putting, it was off-putting for customers if you had that type of hesitation. Yeah, certainly. So we, we accepted certainly. them with open arms and uh, oh. it's done really well for us, so. That's great. That's great. Now, sort of going back to that example you're, you you were talking about, uh, you know, the, the planning aspect of, of this whole um, uh, situation for, let's say, growers. So, uh, you know, I'd recently seen a headline where a, a facility um, was trying to, you know, get their um, or a company trying to get the facility up and running, and, and the county had made an investment on trying to upgrade the electric at uh, a park someplace to attract businesses, but I guess when the cultivator got there, they found out that there just wasn't enough power to 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 meet their needs, you know, right from the get-go. So, you know, does Techogen run into potential customers with these kind of challenges where, you know, suddenly they find themselves in a place where like, yeah, we we really can't get all the the power that we need here. Yeah, absolutely. That 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 comes up a lot and and again it's we're we're able to go in there we're able to office offer a solution that is in most cases significantly less costly than what the upgrade would have cost them mm. um so it's better from that standpoint and also it's generally much faster because oh, right. even if you even if you decide hey I'm going to pony up and and pay the electric utility to upgrade it might take them 2 years to get you what you need 
right? And you know, and that's not an exaggeration. That that wow, it's yeah. usually measured in six months to a year. You know, that's that's the measurement we're talking about. How long this stuff takes? Um, and you know, in this industry, a lot can change if you open up a year later. Um, you know, well, yeah, well, potentially uh, take you a lot longer to recoup your investment. Well, and if you have a state license that has a time clock on it, like you need to be operational within 12 months or whatever it is. I mean, they we're, we're seeing that, you know, still happening in certain states that are trying to, you know, juice their, uh, their licensing. And if you don't meet that time frame, you are in jeopardy. I think um, Missouri just yep. supposedly said they were going to yank 30 licenses, although we're not sure if that's going to happen. And, you know, sort of in a similar vein, New York is like, yeah, we're going to issue licenses. But meanwhile, the tribes are like, yeah, you do that. We're going to issue ours right now. And they're going to be like cranking up licenses in a, in a couple of weeks, whereas New York is probably like 12 months away. So, you know, they're, they're right. definitely the, the, the time is money point that you consistently made is, is definitely an issue. You don't want to wait. Absolutely. And your, your other alternative, you know, is, is terrible. You got to go back to your investors and say, look, we got to reduce our canopy by 40% to fit into our available electric and you know, that doesn't jive with the pro forma that they were presenting <laughs> yeah, at the start, don't, right? So don't don't want to be at that board meeting. That's that's never fun. So uh <laughs> exactly. Um, so hopefully they find us, you know, they 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 know about us or can find us and we can get to the table and show them how we can help solve their problem in a, in a what's most likely a much more palatable manner. And and plus going forward beyond that problem, you're gonna have lower utility costs, which which is gonna help you be more more competitive business. Yeah, competition heats up, and there's downward price pressure. You're going to be in a better position to to, to keep being profitable. So, Steve, is 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 there any? Well, this might not be outside of the remit of Techogen, but does anybody help these municipalities and 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 folks who are trying to get ready for uh, cannabis businesses? You know, to help them understand what the power needs really are, because it's not an unknown thing. At least for those of us who've been in the industry for a while, like yeah. This is a big issue, but is anybody helping those people understand or, or is it the poor license holders who are like, yeah, you need to triple that or <laughs> whatever the right uh, uh, um, multiplier is? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's some rules of thumb, but um, it, it, from what I found, the utility really wants a pretty detailed sort of load, they call load letter, which is this is how much power we need exactly. And to, to get to that, you generally have to have an engineer on board, a consulting engineer, and you need to have spent some money to get to that point. And, you know, and I think a lot of people have a building and maybe there's a lot of other great reasons they wanted to use that space. And then sometimes electric come, concerns come later. Um, but, you know, I think there's definitely a, a certain type of consulting engineer out there that gets involved earlier in the process with owners that will help them. Um, you know, look at buildings, assess them before they even make a commitment and yeah. kind of look at what services available. If they have to do any due diligence with the local utilities, they they can help do that. Um, they understand that process. So I think I've seen that be really helpful for, for an owner to have a consulting engineer that gets involved early in the process and helps them really identify, is it really a good building or, or location um, from from utility yeah. standpoint, power, power, water, gas, all those things that you need to really operate such an energy intense facility. Yeah. Decades ago, I worked in uh, Manhattan uh, and uh, we happened to be in a building that um, was one of the first places that Google took over. It was the old Port Authority 
bus terminal or something like that. It was this giant building and the level of internet that they brought in was just amazing. And I think we sort of got lucky in that, you know, it, it had beneficial externalities for us, but I, I do know that I think people then wanted to choose that building because it was really well set up uh, in, in terms of that uh, particular piece of infrastructure. So I think you're right that people have to put power higher up on their, uh, on their checklist. Um, so we, we've talked about, a, a, you know, a couple uh, things I'd like to understand more about, you know, the benefits and kind of what matters most, because that there can definitely be an ROI, uh, you know, being more cost effective. There's, you know, the efficiency, uh, there's a cleanliness of power, but there are also like taxation benefits, like for a, a cannabis business where, you know, this can impact, you know, maybe what they can write off or not write off. Yeah, sure. So definitely would like to address all of that because, mm. you know, I, I, as I mentioned, I think about, let's say 50% of our customers in this space, they haven't necessarily had an electric capacity constraint. So they, they did choose to do this for all those other reasons. Um, so, you know, the ROI, you're, you're, you're in somewhere in the typically say two to five year range um, for, for these types of products. And we make two types of distinct types of systems. We make a system that can generate electricity for your building and give you free uh, heat that can use to be used to do dehumidification. Mm -hmm. uh, we also make another product that the prime mover of the natural gas engine is directly connected to a refrigeration compressor. So we're actually making the cooling for the building and then giving them free hot water for dehumidification. Huh. Um, so those, those two types of products, um, sometimes they're used kind of either or, uh, mm -hmm. depending on the scenario. Sometimes they're used in conjunction with one another. Um, but all those products we make generally are going to fall into that two to five year ROI uh, range and that's assuming we didn't solve an electric capacity problem. If we solved an electric capacity problem, there's no quote unquote payback period because chances are this was less than what your alternative was. <laughs> um, so that's sort of the rough ROI. And in certain states, have incentive programs for energy efficiency, um, and that can dramatically reduce that period to, to even lower. Which that's a pretty reasonable period to start with. So if you get incentives, great. If you don't, still makes a lot of sense. Um, from a tax standpoint, there are some benefits. Um, so combined heat and power systems uh, do qualify for a couple of federal tax uh, benefits. There's a specific ITC investment tax credit for CHP systems. It's a 10% ITC, hmm. and that's applied generally to the, the system. Um, so beyond our equipment, anything that's involved in helping get those get the power and cooling and heating to the building. Um, so that can be very beneficial, you know, insert disclaimer here, please consult your tax attorney. Um, <laughs> but, but that's one big benefit. There's also accelerated depreciation that comes into play. Um, so that can be uh, something that can be beneficial to people. Um, I think most of our customers have taken advantage of these, these benefits. I don't, some of them I don't know for sure, but I suspect they have. There's generally multiple, you know, business entities that they they're structured to enable themselves to take business deductions and credits, and so on. Um, so that's definitely something that you know people are considering when they make this decision. Um, the cleanliness aspect, I think, is becoming more more important to people. Um, you know, cannabis growing has sort of gotten a bad rap for being energy intense, um, right. which it. it you know, it is inherently, but there's a lot of other industries that use a lot of energy. No one really talks about how much energy it takes to make a can of beer, but I'm sure it takes quite a bit. Um, or Bitcoin. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they have that spotlight on them and, and they want to kind of 
look at ways to alleviate that concern for their customers and let customers know that they're being environmentally conscious. Um, so that the fact that we offer it's roughly about a 50% carbon reduction versus doing things traditionally from the grid. Um, so that's becoming more and more important to people, and um, we're seeing it become a bigger part of the decision-making process. Um, so that's been great because, you know, it's great to do something that's good for your wallet, but you don't want to necessarily be doing that at the expense of the environment. Um, and that's definitely not the case with CHP. You're, you're sort of getting uh, two benefits. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, that's great. I mean, it seems that there's multiple reasons why people go down this uh pathway. So uh, what I'd like to do now is, is try and get a, a deeper understanding of your market and, and how you approach it. So just sort of thinking through in my head, I'm assuming that, you know, your primary focus is indoor grows only or primarily because, you know, would the same benefit apply if somebody had outdoor or, or a mix? Yeah. So it, it's been primarily indoor, you know, warehouse type grows. Um, yeah. Then a couple greenhouse projects, um, but generally it wouldn't be outdoor because you need to have a controlled environment. So, yeah, you know, right, right. Controlled, controlled environment agriculture is sort of what we're targeting. And, and you know, greenhouse grows are sort of in a completely different category because they kind of come in all shapes and sizes. There's, there's some that have very minimal HVAC, you know, they're just maybe some fans uh, and they don't really control the environment perfectly or, or closely. Um, and then there's really sophisticated greenhouses that are, you know, almost completely sealed, have really sophisticated HVAC. It's all robotically run, you know, no people inside it. Yeah. So if you're trying to, you know, control your temperature and humidity perfectly, that's the facility that we're going to be part of um, because you need mechanical cooling equipment, you need sophisticated HVAC systems. So that's where we would play. Um, and that's obviously always the case for an indoor grow. Um, you know, so that's mainly where we focus. But I think as we see the industry, more and more people are assessing greenhouses. We're seeing some hybrid where, you know, some people can have indoor grow, completely indoor. Maybe they're going to make their perfect flower in there and they're going to have a greenhouse or maybe they're going to do more a product destined for extraction. And then they might even have a, a an outdoor piece. Um, so we're seeing, seeing that more often or, or kind of a multi-style building. So... Oh, interesting. Right, right. And, um, you know, the other piece that uh, you had mentioned is, you know, how far are some of these facilities from traditional power sources? So, you know, how do you figure that? Do you have your team, you know, sort of like uh, Google Maps, you know, doing the flyovers to figure out, you know, how far people away and is this a good, you know, place for us to, you know, try and uh, sell our product or, you know, how, how does that come into play? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it generally hasn't mattered too much. I think if, if they are off the beaten path, then they're more likely to have an electric capacity constraint, um, which would be beneficial for us, I suppose. In the, but it, again, if they're too far, then they might have issues with getting access to natural gas pipeline. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's, there's ways around that too. And that's, I'm glad you mentioned it because that has come up uh, on several occasions where we, where there's a couple alternatives. So there, one would be uh, propane, which obviously can be trucked yep. in. So we have a couple of uh, customers that are running on 100% propane. They had, they didn't have reasonable access to a natural gas pipeline. Um, we have some other customers that actually participate in a program called Virtual Pipeline, where they actually have CNG uh, trailers deliver to their facility, and the trailers sort of 
park there and have a decompression station and one trailer gets removed, another one backs in and it just continuous process. <laughs> um, so that, that's another solution. Um, and all of those solutions generally um, are going to A, have a lower operating cost than the grid electric that you could buy instead. Um, and there's certainly easier ways to solve your electric capacity problem. There, you know, there's no virtual wires uh, program to get, to get more electric capacity there easily. Yeah. Um, so that that's come up a little bit. So you know, it's kind of a balance. You want to be you want to be close enough so you can at least hopefully get on the natural gas pipeline. Maybe you didn't have all the electricity you, you would have liked, but there are solutions around that that actually have a great outcome for you in other areas of business as far as your cost structure to operate and so on. Um, but you know, we're we're looking at every every state that's legal. Uh, right now, because some states are going to have a, a larger savings on utility costs because energy costs more. But again, 50% of our customers are are seeking us out due to those electric capacity constraints, and and those are going to be present in almost every state. Um, so, so, so Steve, what about the size of those grows though? Because you know they they differ a lot, and and the examples I can think of are on one end you've got an unlimited license state like Oklahoma that has, you know, thousands and thousands of grows. Some of them are just in barns and whatnot versus Georgia, a giant potential market, but they've only given out six licenses. Two of them are hundred thousand square feet. And I think four or 50,000 square feet. So not a lot of canopy across the state. Like how do you guys assess it as a business? Like, you know, do we go trying to, you know, secure those, couple MSOs in, in Georgia, or is there actually money to be made in a place like Oklahoma? Yeah, sure. G great question. So we're, we're looking for facilities. Generally, the starting point that we're looking at is, is around 10,000 square feet of canopy and, and oh. up, okay. um, which is actually most facilities are going to fall within that. Yeah. You know, some states have micro license programs where you, you might have um, less than that, but we're actually a fit in most facilities because really where you see our systems start to make sense is when you use chilled water um, for your HVAC. And generally, if you have a two to 300 ton cooling load or, or larger, mm -hmm. chilled water is going to make a lot of sense to to use. So once you get to that point, and, that, and you'll hit that cooling load at, again, 10,000 square feet of canopy, you got 250 tons of cooling all day long. So that's sort of the starting point. And then we go up from there and huh. the larger you get, you know, it, it just makes even more sense. Cause if you have a 60,000 square foot canopy and you have a 1200 ton cooling load, you're going to be using fairly sophisticated HVC system, chill water distribution, um, most definitely. And we're really, that's our, that's perfect for us. So um, it's, we're, we tend to be a fit in s smaller facilities than people would assume, I guess, uh, yeah. because the, the density of cooling that you need per square foot is just so high. Um, so it doesn't take a very big facility to need a lot of big cooling equipment. Um, so Interesting. Um, now, in terms of you know looking at a particular mar market segment, one of the groups that lots of people focus on are these you know, large publicly traded MSOs. Is, is this part of their playbook? Like, are they trying to do this or are, are they, you know, flush with enough cash where they're always building near where there's plenty of electricity? Right. Yeah. So we've, we've seen a little bit of both. We were definitely working with some of the, the big MSOs, some of the names that everyone listening probably would recognize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
but we're also working with a lot of the kind of smaller groups that don't have multiple facilities. Um, and I think we've seen both both types of customers face electric capacity constraints. So even even the big folks that you know have more resources, um, you know for whatever reason they. It seems like there's no exception. People find themselves in that scenario. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we also, you know, we find that if there's an MSO that we're not working with um, currently, it, we have found it, it's more difficult to get them to consider something different because, you know, they've created a recipe and they want to stick with that. But, you know, I think the individual groups, they're open to trying new ideas because they're trying to compete with those people, yes. those big MSOs. So they're willing to get creative, try try different solutions that can give them an edge. And I, I think what we're finding is as all those customers start to use our equipment, including some of the MSOs, um, the other ones that aren't are kind of looking looking over and saying, man, maybe we, maybe we better think about considering that because, you know, the guy down the street, even if he doesn't have the resources we have, if he's put in this equipment and he's able to cut his utility costs in half, well, he's going to make a lot more profit when, when the prices start dropping and we might be in trouble. So, you know, we're seeing people adopt it on day one and then we're seeing people adopt it later on in their, in their maturity process. You get the, uh, the, the early adopters and then the fast followers uh, behind them when they realize they, they don't want to get left in the dust. So um, exactly, I mean, exactly. Uh, we sometimes see that with cannabis media where people are like, well, well, who else is using this? And we'll say all your competitors. No. Yeah, they are. So, you know, it's right. It's yeah. We, we reached a, we reached a level of market penetration in Massachusetts, for example, it's very, very high. And that does come up a lot where people say, man, every, everyone within a 10 mile radius of me is, have this utility cost cut in half with this equipment. How am I going to compete if I don't do it? Well, right. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, one question I, I, I do want to ask Steve is how did your team utilize the cannabis media platform? You know, how do, how do we, you know, hopefully help you find the the people that uh, are in need of these services? Yeah, no, it's been great. We recently signed on with it and it's, it's just really helpful. Obviously it's, it's essentially a CRM with contacts already loaded in it, which is wonderful. Um, so you can kind of drill down and figure out who to contact because um, that's sometimes always the hardest thing is I want to contact this company, but I don't, I don't even know where to start or uh, right. spend days on LinkedIn trying to get in touch with them. So <laughs> that's been great. But just the, li the little benefits that we find is just keeping up on industry news. We get an email right almost every day that yeah. tells you all the happenings in the industry and just trying to stay up on that and getting a sense of which markets you want to focus your time on. Um, so that's been great and oh, good. yeah, it's hugely beneficial to us. So, um, oh, oh, always good to hear as a guy on the data team, I like to hear that the data is being used and for put to its best, uh, to its best high purpose. Um, so one of the last questions I want to ask Steve is kind of the looking forward, you know, we keep track of new jurisdictions that are coming on board or adding to their program. You know, obviously here in New England, my home state of Connecticut is adding adult use, New York adding adult use, New Jersey adding adult use, New Mexico adding adult use you know, on the other side of the country. You know, what, what does that mean for you guys in, in terms of, you know, are there immediate implications for you or 
you know, do you sort of have to wait to see where these uh, folks are setting up? Like, you know, when the new state comes on board, you know, what do you and your team have to do to, to make sure that you get the, uh, um, the best opportunities there? Sure. Yes. And there's a lot of states that are opening you know, all kind of all at once. So we're, we tend to focus on first on the ones that have higher energy costs because they're going to have the greatest benefit from us. So like Connecticut's a perfect example. Um, and then it's really just trying to trying to reach out to those license holders, give them a, a brief education about what it is that we do and, and try to get in touch with their design teams. And the one benefit of having so much success here uh, on the East Coast is that a lot of the design teams that did these facilities, they're kind of moving on to these other states um, as they open up and, and they already know about our technology and they can put it forth to owners um, to, to add value. So we kind of follow those folks too as they enter those new markets because you know, a lot of our selling is owner direct, so to speak, but a lot yep. of it is through the consultants that are designing the facilities because they're ultimately selecting the, the equipment um, that they feel will be be the best fit for their their client. Yeah, they're almost like a value added reseller, sort of. Yeah, exactly. Their their clients are counting on them to identify products that are going to move the needle for them. Um, that's that's one of the many things they're getting paid to do. So. Yeah. Oh no, that makes a lot of sense because you know for you that they are people who have a one to many relationship as opposed to an owner where it's a one to one. So. You know, if, if they, if you find people who are great and trustworthy and who can put your product forward, that's got to be a great way to uh, land and expand in, in some of these new markets, especially. So, um, so, well, great. Well, I, I wish you luck as uh, you and your team comes into my state of Connecticut and, and all the other ones, because it's definitely proving to be a dynamic year in terms of um, new licenses. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we've found is you know, often people are so anxious for, well, when are these licenses going to be out? We know, and I think you do too, that it often takes 12 to 18 months for these licenses to actually get up and running where they're producing. And I, I think we're in the midst of that here in uh, some of these states. So um, it'll, it'll be an exciting, an exciting time. Um, any chance that we'll be seeing you at uh, MJ Biz in a couple of weeks uh, out in Vegas? Yeah, absolutely. We'll have a booth there and we uh, look forward to catching up with uh existing customers and hopefully many new ones. Excellent. Well, uh, Steve, thanks so much for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, I look forward to seeing you out in uh, Las Vegas and I uh, just encourage our viewers to stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault.